The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Corey Stamper. Corey is an author and lexicographer who has been writing on language and change for over 15 years. Her best-selling book, Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries, chronicles the wild story of English and her writing on language and culture. Uh, she works for Cambridge Dictionaries and has the luxury of really thriving in an Agile environment. She is also the keynote speaker for the upcoming Women in Agile 2020 online virtual conference. Corey, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Leslie. I'm great. so excited about um, your, your upcoming talk, although I guess this episode probably will drop right after the conference. So people <laughs> right. people are going to get it to kind of, you know, supplemental to, to the online conference. But before we right. get into your talk and your experience in Agile, mm-hmm. lexicographer is just like a big word that most people probably have never heard. It's a super big word. <laughs> so, so lexicographer, oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Dogs happen. Dogs happen. <laughs> uh, lexicographer is a word that means a writer or an editor of a dictionary. Uh, that's been my main profession for 25 years now. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a weird thing. Not many of us left in the country doing this work. So yeah. And what got you into it? You know, I fell into it kind of by accident. I, uh, I went to college. I was the first in my family to go to college and was going to be a doctor because that's what you do when you're the first in your family go- to go to school. Um, did not like the pre-med track. I took a class on medieval Icelandic literature and fell in love with it. And so in college, I actually, uh, I majored in medieval studies, very, very practical major. But that meant that I, I just, I started collecting languages. I've always been really good at language and I've really enjoyed reading. And, um, and so I finished school and was kind of like, I guess when you major in dead languages, you can work for a publisher. And I, I answered a want ad in the paper. That's how long ago this was for an entry-level position at Merriam-Webster, which is a major dictionary company in Massachusetts. And went in, got an interview, and, and you know, figured I'd be doing publishing-type stuff, and they hired me to be a definer. So, so I, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a job path that you can really plan out. It's sort yeah. of how you fall into it. But it's really, I really thrived in it. it was, it's really a great, it's a great profession for me, so... 
That's awesome. And just the brief chat we've had in prepping for the episode today, like it's so obvious, like there's a fire in your belly for this work and there's passion <laughs> and commitment to all this. Although I, so, and I'm going to ask a question that I don't know if is occurring to other people, but this is going to like show how much I really don't know. How <laughs> is like a lexicographer different than a linguist? Oh, that's a good question. So lexicographers are the way that I talk about it is they're sort of like the, the working like folks on the ground who are documenting language change. So the point of a dictionary is that it records the language in use. And linguists are people who study language as sort of a broader system, right? So they study how language moves or adapts or changes if you put it in a different place, or they study, you know, natural language processing and AI and machine learning, which is all based very much on these principles of how language itself operates as a system. Um, lexicographers can be linguists and linguists can be lexicographers, but most lexicographers I know don't have any formal training in linguistics. So you kind of pick it up on the job, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and I love how you point towards like documenting of language that is in sort of current use or is in use. Mm -hmm. um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, speaking of racism, and they were talking about simply the definition of the word racism. Yeah. And how she really, like, I, this woman, she goes, I had a dictionary on my shelf from 1963 and I pulled that open. And then I went to a dictionary today and mm -hmm. looked at the definition of the word and it has evolved. So there is an inherent agility in the fact that language does change. It's not something that's yeah. just static. Yeah. I mean, that that's one thing that I think when you're a lexicographer, you mostly hear about the things people hate about language. And one of the things that people hate about language is language today is worse than language when I was a kid. That's what you, that's how it's framed. And the fact is, is that that's a, that's not true. You can't judge language as being better or worse. It's just different. Mm -hmm. But it's also the, you know, people just don't like that language changes. They think that language should be this sort of monolithic static structure that is sort of divorced from any kind of uh, personal interaction or, or any kind of personal communication that almost like it's a coding language, right? Like this is the C++ of <laughs> that we all access and, and that all of our communication is based on. And the idea that it's, it's actually a living, breathing, flexible thing that's influenced by every speaker of that language and can be influenced by every speaker of that language really freaks people out. So yeah, I mean, language is it is an agile system. It is yeah. meant to change. It must change. And the minute that it starts becoming static, it's dead. That's what a dead language is, is it's a language that nobody speaks anymore and never changes. When it's listening to you, Corey, it's like, I've never thought of language as the collective wisdom of a system mm. until like this moment. And, you know, the dramatic shrinking of our earth as digital and, you know, just like almost this borderless digital society that we're part of. Yeah. How that in and of itself must introduce so much more rapid evolution of language as we probably think about sort of the historical evolution of language 
right. since mankind existed. Right. And that yeah. feels a little theoretical to me, but like, <laughs> help me unpack that for a moment. <laughs> I'm happy to. So, so, uh, I want to talk about the word prepone. Do you know the word prepone? I do not. Let's learn it. Okay. Prepone is a verb that means to move a scheduled event to a time earlier than the event it was originally scheduled for. Ah, okay. okay. So the thing I love about prepone that sort of illustrates all of this is prepone came into being in Indian English, English used in, Indi in call centers and in business centers in India. Now, English is not a native language in India, but it is an imported language that has a really complicated history in India, right? It was, you know, in the Indian subcontinent, you had a lot of trade, you know, for centuries, but then you also had British rule. So you had the imposition of English as a prestige language, as the, the language that the people in power spoke. Um, and now English is a global language, right? So if you do any kind of, of, especially digital work, you have to know some English. The thing that, that we tend to assume about English is that, you know, if you export or you impose British English or American English or Canadian English, that, that, that it's just, again, it's a static structure. What happens with prepone is prepone came out of the variety of English spoken only in India and in business settings in India. And, it, and it's beautiful because it, it encapsulates and it understands how English is put together, right? So it's based on postpone, which means to move something to a time later. Yeah. So speakers understand that pone is sort of this, you know, this is kind of the instrumental part of the word that has the meaning and post means after. So pre must mean before. And, and it's beautiful because it actually solves a problem that you get in places like America or Canada where we say, we're going to move the meeting up or we're going to move the meeting back, which can be confusing depending on like you're moving it up to a new time, like past where we are, or you're moving it up as in you're moving it before our time, right? Up is ambiguous to us. Yeah, yeah. So prepone fixes that. So prepone came to being be in, you know, mostly in Indian business English, and it's now being re-exported out to Britain, America, Europe, Canada, because it's business English, right? Yeah. So, so it's this really, so here's this flexible system where you're, where you're having, you're grappling with a complex history, right? You're grappling with the complex history of how English, the language came to be in the Indian subcontinent, which involves subjugation, conquering, racism, classism. Like it's not a pretty history, yeah. but the fact of it being there you, you can't change that English has ended up in parts of India. But what's happened is, is that, you know, Indian speakers who have taken then English, they are now exercising their right as speakers of English, whether native speakers or second language speakers or foreign language speakers, to change the language to their needs, right? They're focusing on language being a flexible, agile tool. And yeah. And that and and they are now, because of their position in business and because of their position, you know, I mean, 
developers in my company are, are based in India. They all now are exporting Indian English into a native speaking, you know, area, which, yeah. so that's a great example of like the history of language is super complex and it is not always pretty, but the present and the future of language, particularly in digital spaces, it has to, I mean, it, it sort of, it both grapples with that, but it also transcends it, right? In a way that you can say, all right, you know, there are some people in, in America who say, well, pre-pone's not correct, which is stupid. It's fine. <laughs> like it's correct. <laughs> Follows all the grammatical rules of morphology. It's fine. But it's, but it's just the, that's the way that language works. And, and to say then that like it, it upends the power structure that has traditionally been in place when English yeah. becomes the, the language of a conquered area, nation, people group. So there's, um, language is a power structure. You just use that phrase. Mm. It's really interesting to me. And there's so many threads I would just love to pull on Corey. Cause like, there's like, I kind of don't want this to only have to be like a 40 minute episode. <laughs> like I want it to be like 40 hours maybe. Right. Right. Um, Cause like, I'm just wanting to kind of geek out with you on some things. Um, but this idea of language as a power structure, right. Being that, right? This is the Women in Agile podcast series and all of that. Talk to me a little bit about the power of language mm. and how as women, like, are we using language sort of in service or disservice mm. to like our agendas around gender equality and other social justice issues? Like, what are those right. blind spots we might have? Yeah. I mean, I, I can think of one that seems really silly and inconsequential, but I think probably has resonance for any any woman who has walked into any kind of, you know, development stand-up. And that is, hey, guys. Right? I, that's why I like being from the South, because I'd just be like, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Y'all is, is gender perfect. neutral. <laughs> yeah, y'all is absolutely gender neutral. And, you know, hey, guys is guys in particular is just it's a word that if you sit down and you ask a linguist or a lexicographer they will say well yeah guy has had a it's been gender coded but you know in the last 20 30 years we've seen we have seen it used in mixed you know groups of mixed gender or all gender we've seen it used by women among their friends and so so if you ask like that's a reflection of where that word has gone that doesn't mean <laughs> that it's still not problematic for people right and this gets down to the idea of language not being a monolithic system that we pluck words from as we need it, but language being about communication. So if you're in a space where, and, and you know, I started thinking about this because I was actually having a conversation with a friend who started a new job and she walked into a standup and they said, okay, guys, she just bristled because she's like that. It just emphasizes the fact that I'm walking into a space that has historically never allowed women in it. And it doesn't matter how many women are in this group. Um, and is it is it something that you feel like we have to eliminate the word guys from, from the English language? No. I mean, you can't get rid of, you can't just wipe words off of the map. That's not how the language works. But what you can do is you can think about, okay, 
if that if that is an issue for someone in my team, one of the values of Agile is that we value individuals and interaction yeah. over process. And the and and I think that you know we that gets used in like you know developer client contexts or but really. It, it, language follows that too. Mm -hmm. Language is about the inter, the individual and the interaction. And if the interaction is that you have one individual who says, "Can we just not use guys?" then then that is that is a hindrance to the team working collaboratively, to the team feeling like there's a safe space to bring new ideas in anything, right? Yeah. Like it makes me think of the Scrum core value around respect. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, when we, I, I've been thinking a lot too about the word value. When we say that we value the individual and the interaction over, well, what does value mean? You know, value in a business setting means that we, because there's a monetary value to this, we prioritize it. But, but when you're valuing something, you are saying, you're valuing an individual, you're saying you have as much worth as I do. And, and that means then that we have to think very carefully if, if someone comes to us and says, I don't want to say anything in the stand-up, but I really don't. Can you find another way to say hello to everyone in, instead of guys? It just sets me on edge. And like, how, do you, how you receive that and how you respond to that has to be according to the, the values and principles of Agile. It can't just yeah. be, well, you know, you just, look, I'm busy and you can't make excuses. You can't, it, it is your job to take the five minutes it take you to think, all right, what do I need to do? Like how, okay, what can I say instead of guys? I could say folks, I could say team. Uh, I could, if you're in the South, you can say y'all. I grew up you know, in a Western context. So I use y'all all the time. <laughs> and, <even> though, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm, I now work for a British company and they get y'alled all the time, but it's, you know, it's, it's modeling an inclusive behavior and it, and it costs you nothing. That's the yeah. thing. It takes you five minutes and a little bit of practice. But it's not as easy. I was, I'm going to challenge you with a little bit of practice challenge because <laughs> we are in the same way that as we're learning agile stuff for the first time, mm -hmm. we are changing deeply rooted habits for how we interact and collaborate with people. Absolutely. And that takes a lot of time. Absolutely. So just because yeah. like, it doesn't mean like, oh, we had that conversation about the word guys today and I'm going to be perfect every day here. Like I have to oh, build yeah. a whole new neuropathway in my brain, establish a new pattern. And that <laughs> might take years. Yeah. For some of this. Right. You know, but I think this is the other thing about valuing interaction and valuing collaboration is when you value interaction, individual and collaboration, you're, you're putting everyone on an even playing field or you are, which usually means particularly if you're a white woman, you're bringing yourself, you're lowering the yeah. playing field, right? You, you're saying our common denominator is going to be that you don't like guys. And even though I might think it's fine and I could go to a dictionary and prove to you it's fine, that's not going to be helpful for our collaborative for our collaborative process, it's not going to be helpful for our interaction. Interactions are iterative, right? Language yeah, is, is iterative. Yeah. So, 
So, and this is, and I think we've all done this in different ways, right? If some, if you have a, a word in your own vocabulary that somebody doesn't like, you know, someone in your house or your roommate or someone in the office doesn't like, and they say, oh, could you not use that word? Even if it's not an offensive word, like, can yeah. you not use that word? You're like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Well, it's like and, our transition yeah. from backlog grooming to backlog refinement. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you can, you can say, we're not using this anymore and it's just going to take iterative processes for people to to get there but what that means is everybody has to value interaction and individual and collaboration so then if if i'm the person coming to my lead saying can you not use guys it's really bothering me that means that i also have to be when they say guys the next time I can make eye contact with them or I can hum or I can pull up Slack and be like, hey, we talked yeah. about this. And it means then that you you are helping you by reminding that person or by sort of saying like, we talked about this and accepting their, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'll try better. That's what that means. That You yeah. value that interaction because that interaction says I, as a person who, who wants this to change, sees that you are trying to change it. And I know it will take time, but I will hold you to account. But also I value you as an individual and I value this particular interaction. Yeah. So, so what I'm yeah. picking up on is like, there's the gender biased language mm -hmm. is like something that we know is sort of there. Guys is a great example. Are there other sort of blind spots that we as women might have around language? Yeah, that I mean, are not serving us. I, I think so. I mean, I think one of the other things that we, you know, this is something that as a when you're a woman in a business space, you hear a lot like don't apologize, don't start your conversations with I think just state what you think, or maybe we can just say we should and um, which is on the one hand, I think, yes, that's valuable because it, it makes you think about how you're phrasing your language. I actually don't necessarily know that it's valuable because I think, well, you know, if I say, hey, I'm so, I mean, so I work in a British context now and every interaction that I have, every email starts with an apology. This is a cultural norm in Britain. Like <laughs> you, you talk about the weather and you apologize for saying what you're about to say. And that's fine. Um, so, so the ways that we sort of, as women, hedge ourselves that we're just, and these are not things that we do intentionally. These are things that we have picked up over years and years and years of being in different spaces where we immediately, like, I don't want to be labeled as being aggressive or difficult. So, so that's one space. I also think, you know, you can't, you you can focus on gender parity, absolutely, but we live in a society where justice means more than just gender equality mm -hmm. and gender parity. And so, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that, that uh, it has sort of, one of the things that I've noticed is the petition to rename Scrum Master. And, and you know, the response to that petition from some people is very, uh, fixed and unagile, right? Like, no, this is, we have a certification for it. You know, come on, this is just, and it's, or people, you know, people get into scrum splaining, right? Like, well, it doesn't mean master in that way. It's coming from mastery, which is a different thing. And, um, which is, a, which is interesting because it's just, 
we like patterns. Humans yeah. like patterns. It's a pattern that we've latched onto. And, you know, people sort of, you feel like there's too much for me to keep in my head at once. I can't make all of these changes at once, right? I can't remember, hey, guys, and try and think of a new way to refer to a scrum master. Like, should we scrum coach? No. Scrum lead? No. How do we do that? And and so I think that, that for, for women in Agile, there's I think we feel like there's also responsibility, you know, if we really think and we really embody the values of Agile and the principles of Agile and we really want to move forward, we we often feel like we got to jump in and fix it, right? We don't want to be seen as whiners. We don't yeah. want to be seen as, you know, we have to jump We're in. We're taught that you have to have a solution if you're going to bring a problem. Yeah, absolutely. That. Right. And but the thing about a collaborative space is that it it leaves a lot on the table for discussion, right? Mm-hmm. A collaborative space where, and and I'm certainly guilty of this, where I, I see a problem in a product I'm developing or I'm helping develop, and I come to the stand-up and I say, okay, I got problem A, I have for you solution A, solution B, solution C, solution D, which do you want? Which that's not collaborative. That's not me asking my developers, I have this problem. Do you see the problem? I have ideas. Tell me your ideas. I want your ideas. And it's the same with the language that we use in, in not just, not just at work. I mean, this is the Women in Agile conference. We're thinking about this way, but but agile values apply all over the place, and and those values in language apply all over the place too. Um, so you can be really collaborative at a stand up or at a team meeting and leave and be really nasty about, <laughs> about somebody else in the team. That's not that's it's not really collaborative. Or you no. can or you can be really good about not calling your team guys. But then when you all, you know, go out after, you know, a sprint or you, you know, thanks guys, right? You know, it's, I think there's, there's a lot about, about the way that we approach collaboration that I think is, is, it's hard, right? When we're looking at words like master that have so much negative history and you don't want to say, well, get over it because you that's wrong. Right. But at the same time, it's you have to hold it in an open space and and for it to truly change on a on a language change level, it needs to be changed by a quorum of its speakers. It can't just yeah. be one or two people saying Scrum Master needs to go. It needs to be something that an entire quorum of people come behind, and that requires a, a trust and a collaboration that can't exist until you deal with something like, hey, guys, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Until you have the kind of rapport, until you really show over and over and over again the value of the individual and the interaction. Yeah. And when I think you're pointing also towards an inherent challenge in the English language yeah. where words, depending on how they're used, have multiple meanings, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like master and mastery. Right. Um, uh I even think about, I was reading something and this has been years ago now and um, it was blah, 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 project this, project that, project this. And I'm like, this just makes no sense. Oh, project. (laughs) Just (laughs) Same letters, two totally different words. Right. Yeah. Um, Even the word scrum, right? Mm -hmm. The rugby term versus the 
process framework. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's a bug and a feature of English, right? That, yes. that English is flexible enough that a word can can branch off into multiple different ways of being used and multiple different meanings. And and some words have meanings that are, you know, offensive, derogatory, and and the same word has a meaning that's completely innocuous in another yeah. context. You know, language is often about context, but but language is also about communication. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a, a really good example is um, that there are there are plenty of words that sound like slurs, um, and and there are words that that mean like you know, greedy that sound like the most inflammatory slur in the English language. And you get a lot of, you know, linguists and lexicographers and other people saying, it's fine. It's not the same word. It's not, it's not even related to these, these words are so far apart, but that doesn't matter if I use the word and you hear a slur. The other one. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Um, So topics is an example of that. Yeah. People hear topless, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going, I'm going to no. go home with this. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, in any, in any language interaction, just like any interaction, you have the speaker and their intention and you have the hearer and what they've heard. Yeah. And miscommunication happens when the speaker's intention is not communicated or does not match what the hearer hears. And there's a whole field of linguistics about discourse analysis and semantics and pragmatics and how do you how do you bridge that gap and and which is more important right yeah. is it more important that the speaker's intention be the thing that stands or is it the way that the person hears something and and I feel strongly if we want to respect people and if we want to value people, we have to let the hearer's reading of something be the thing that stands. It doesn't well, matter. Is, yeah, yeah. because if you choose a word, because I think we've all been in situations where a word said or something said and we get triggered and we just stop listening. Oh, so it doesn't matter what your intent is. If people aren't listening, oh, like yeah. you have the obligation in some ways, if you're truly committed to your intent. Yeah. to deliver it in a way that it will mm-hmm. be received. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think the idea, I mean, what you were saying in particular, like we hear something, we're triggered, we stop listening. What that, what that functionally means is not just that communication isn't happening, but that the interaction itself is not happening, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I had a, it's like very innocuous example. I say, I use what linguists call the positive anymore, which is when you, instead of saying something like, no one makes phone calls anymore, that's the negative anymore, no one anymore, you would say, uh, any more people would rather order groceries online than go to the store. There's no negative thing in that sentence. Now, the positive anymore is really common in all parts of the country except for New England. And so when I started work in New England as a Westerner, I had the positive anymore. And I said something like that, right? Any more people are going to email instead of calling the office. And one of my colleagues, who only grew up in New England, turned to me and said, oh, that's so cute. Like not like not meaning to be offensive. Or patronizing or, patronizing. or anything, yeah. 
just saw thought it was interesting and did not think about the the four letter word that just fell out of his mouth and he said that's cute and i nope that's the i don't remember the rest of the the meeting i remember his comment only and that's the thing is if if that's what your hearers walking away with if if we're if we're trying in agile to be inclusive and we talk about scrum master certification and then we wonder why inclusivity and diversity efforts are hard in our you know in our field then well there's a disconnect but and it's not the hearer's job to bridge the gap like there is something that you know i mean we talk about triggering or we talk about carrying trauma and i think language can be a traumatic experience yeah. um you know the i say in my book that you know sticks and stones may break break my bones, but names will never hurt me is a lie. And every five-year-old knows that in their bones. Like everyone yeah. knows that that's a lie. If we listen to any of Brene Brown's research on shame, yes. language has the same, or emotion has the same neurological response around pain as physical pain. Absolutely. Yeah. And you carry trauma in your body. That means yeah. that I cannot just say, I'm going to get over it and, and press forward. Or So I, I think when we talk about interaction, the impetus is not on the hearer to make the leap. The impetus is on the speaker. And, yeah. and that also means that we have to pay attention to people, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that, that I'm very aware of now that we all do everything via Zoom. Right? <laughs> like, now that we live and move and have our being online, I actually, I mean, Zoom can be exhausting for me, but I actually love it when we do video calls because I can actually see everybody's face. Yep. And if I say something or someone says something and you can just see a slight change of something yep. on someone's face, you can be like, wait a minute, so-and-so, you seem to, are you like, what's going on there? What do you think about what was just said? Um, so this means, you know, Again, the idea of valuing an individual means that you must, in many ways, unvalue or uncouple your value to whatever place that you think you should have, right? As and and for women especially, we need to model that kind of thing among ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We need to model that. We need to provide an example that shows you can value people and you can value interaction and you can still be quote unquote successful in the office, <laughs> whatever yeah. that means and not lose something. I think so much of what we, and this gets back to people complaining about language. It's you're working from a deficit mindset, right? Like there's one pie. And if my slice gets smaller, then that means I have less. Like if yeah, I you take that word stone, from me, yeah. 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 Like if you take master from scrum master, what am I left with? And it's like, I have, I will send you a dictionary with 300,000 other words you can choose from. Like, yeah. or we can have a meeting and talk about how we want to move forward with this. You know, this yeah. is, this is the thing, you know, that is so beautiful about language and makes me, makes me think so much about how we use language in in agile spaces too because yeah. it, it just it dovetails really well with supporting the values and principles of agile yeah corey there's so many things around words like craftsmanship 
mm-hmm. that has like gender aspects of it. How, um, how cultural appropriation shows up in language yeah. and, and other sorts of things that I really wish we had time to unpack. So I'm going to cross my fingers. Like I can get you back for another conversation sometime you, soon. You bet. <laughs> um, because there's, there's so many just interesting things about our, our values and principles as agilists, mm-hmm. what obligation we have to, diversity and inclusion in the work that we do, um, how we as women can really be a pillar of light and modeling exactly like you were pointing to a minute ago, doing all of this the right way. So I just, I, um, I love that you're here and in this conversation, right. The, the, you know, the conference session keynote and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. thank you. Before we do wrap up, like, Mm -hmm. um, two or three kind of quick questions. Yeah, you bet. Um, Agile in and of itself, Mm -hmm. like since having been exposed to it, Mm -hmm. what were some of like the big light bulbs that went on you and have kind of shifted how you are as a human? Oh, I mean, I, I think, you know, this emphasis on individual and interaction over process. I mean, so I've said I'm, that a couple times. Yeah. I have. Yeah. Clearly it's made a big impression. I know. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm not a developer. I'm coming at it from the client side and I'm usually not even a cl- the, the client that you're talking to. I'm the slob that's supplying the really messy data that we're asking the developers to turn into something that works. And, and so for me being in this agile space now, you know, working at Cambridge where even though I am not a developer, my opinion and my and my view of whatever data I'm supplying is really important. Is just and you know that I'm that we we you know that I get emails from developers that are like, "How are you doing?" I'm like, oh, what do I do with that? Like, <laughs> no one's ever asked. Like, usually the you know software developers are like, "Thanks for the data," and that's all I get. So. So that has really, that's been a big light bulb for me because it's not, that's tends not to happen, you know, in sort of hidebound, more traditional, Mm -hmm. non-digital spaces. So, so that's a big one for me. That's great. That's great. And then anything specifically around sort of your own experience as a woman in business, Mm -hmm. how you sort of see women in the agile community, any kind of observations or just thoughts of things you notice there? I mean, I, I think one of the things I really appreciate is the intentionality in that with women in Agile to reach out to other women and support other women on that other woman's terms. I, th- I find that incredibly valuable because there's just, you know, m- I think we've all had experiences, right? Of like someone who wants to come in as your mentor and you're like, oh, but I don't, the kind of mentorship you want for me is not actually what I need. And, yeah. and there's now suddenly this weird space of like, should you, like, how do you, ex- should you accept mentorship that's not helpful? That's just going to make that person feel like they're doing the thing they should do. And so, so I really, I really appreciate the willingness to sort of listen and support in whatever way, which I think is a really, again, it's a really unusual thing for, for women in business spaces. I really love it. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. And then what are you kind of, what are you studying? How are you sort of doing your own inner work and professional growth? Maybe what are you geeking out on? How can you inspire 
our listeners for something that may be great for them. So I'm, I'm in the middle of writing uh, two more books and uh, both of those books deal with women in technology mm. and, um, and English. Cause that's my thing. But um, I, uh, I've just finished rereading I believe there's three volumes of uh, Margaret Rossiter's Women in Technology. It's a history of women in technology. And, and in particular, there's a, the second section of women in technology, which starts with World War I through the 70s. Um, I just, I find it fascinating because of course, you know, women in technology, that women were suppressed in so many ways from achieving any sort of uh, outward success. And yet this this book, it's an academic book, but it's full of examples of women who just showed up and just their presence was like, you just have to get used to having a female fellow of the American Chemical Society. Just, yeah. get, just deal with it. Um, so I'm, I'm really loving that too, because it also, I think there's, there's just things that you learn about like, Okay, so you can't you can't actually keep a government job as a married woman. So you know you have women who are like, well, I'm just never going to get married then. <laughs> like, or like, yeah. I'll just cohabitate. Fine, you can't make me quit my job. So I'm I'm really loving that. I'm really awesome. It. Yeah, very cool. And then any final wisdom you want to share with folks today? Um, I think just remember that language change is a slow process and, and internal change is a slow and iterative process. And Wait, but, hold on. Slow down. Okay. And say that again. <laughs> <laughs> language change is, a, is an iterative process. Yes. Internal change is an iterative process. We are used to iterative processes here at Agile. Yeah. Um, and that that process is never linear, right? Just like any collaborative space, it is not a linear, we move from A to B, but the process of collaboration is the thing that will change language permanently and will yeah. make language change meaningful for people. Yeah, and the other word you used in there was that it's slow. It is slow. <laughs> we do not snap our fingers and have this happen overnight. There is... Right such an influx of change in our society and mm -hmm. our global society right now, whether it be pandemic related or like hyper focus on social injustice mm -hmm. and all of this, like there's change overwhelm. And so I think be patient, mm -hmm. give yourself grace, give others grace right. and really be focused as you've said so many times on that individuals and interactions. Yeah. Yeah. And change yeah. will happen because change, yeah. that's what, that's what language does. Language changes. It does. It does. And we change along with it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Corey, thank you so much. This was like, I, my almost like my skin feels electrified <laughs> and it's like, I'm just so charged up by your passion and your enthusiasm. Um, Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. It was great. Have me yes. back. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We really do hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. You can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. 
Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.